Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online, and I'm joined today by our news editor, Nick Bostock. This week, we're taking an in-depth look at the GP workforce. We'll be discussing some work Nick has been doing, crunching various numbers and mapping some of the data produced by the NHS in England, and asking what it tells us about the state of the GP workforce and some of the challenges facing general practice. And we're talking about why patient satisfaction with the NHS has reached a 25-year low and what the British Social Attitudes Survey, which those figures came from, had to say about general practice. That's all to come on this week's Talking General Practice. So the NHS produces huge amounts of data and in England a lot of this is made publicly available by NHS Digital. There's data available on many aspects of primary care and at GP Online we've been trying to use that to look in a bit more depth at some of the challenges facing general practice. Most recently, we've been looking at data around the GP workforce. In February, we looked at underdoctored areas, and this month, we've been looking at how the age profile of the workforce is affecting general practice. Last week, we published a new interactive map on GP Online, which analyses data to determine which parts of the country are most at risk from an ageing workforce. The map allows users to scroll in and look at the percentage of the workforce in their area that's over 55 and the number of practices in each CCG that could be at risk from an ageing workforce. You can also see how your area compares with other parts of the country. So, Nick, when we talk about an ageing workforce, we're using 55 as a cut-off figure and we'll come on to why we're using that age in a minute. But firstly, what proportion of GPs in England are over 55 as things currently stand? Nearly a quarter of the GP workforce is aged over 55. As of January this year, there were 27,757 full-time equivalent, fully qualified GPs in England. And of these, just over 6,400 are age 55 plus. So it's actually 23.1%. And actually, if you strip out doctors whose age isn't recorded, the figure goes up slightly to 23.4%. So a little bit closer to that figure of uh, a quarter of the total. Has this changed in recent years, do we know? Well, so reliance on older GPs has risen fairly significantly compared with about a decade ago. Back in September 2015, when former Health and Social Care Secretary Jeremy Hunt promised an extra 5,000 GPs, a promise that, as we've said many times, did not materialise. At that time, 20% of the GP workforce was aged over 55. So about seven years ago, it was a fifth. And now, as we've mentioned, it's up closer to a quarter. Um, And if you look at the figures across that period, there has been some fluctuation. But what we can see is that since about 2018, the proportion of GPs aged over 55 has remained steadily above 23%. And it's occasionally drifted up closer to 24%. So why have we picked 55 as that cut off? And what are the implications of having a high proportion of GPs falling into that age range? So so this is obviously a really important element of looking at all of this. You know, what evidence is there that GPs aged over 55 are planning to retire or stop working anytime soon? Is it, you know, is it anything to worry about if lots of GPs are aged over 55? Um, And actually, I think it's fair to say that the evidence for, for example, that practices heavily reliant on GPs aged over 55 are at risk is overwhelming. We've been covering an inquiry by MPs into the future of general practice and the BMA's Pensions Committee chair told the Health and Social Care Select Committee last week that 55 has become the normal age, those were his words, for doctors to retire. Government evidence to the Doctors and Dentists Review Body, which provides advice on setting public sector pay uh, earlier this year, confirmed a sharp rise in GPs taking early retirement as well. 
So voluntary early retirements hit a four-year high in 2020-21. And the government says that three in five of all GP members of the 1995 NHS pension scheme who claimed their pension for the first time in 2020-21 did so before the standard age of, uh, of 60. I mean, there's also evidence from the BMA with their polling that suggests that more than a third of GPs plan to retire early after working under intense pressure through the the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, okay, that does make sense why that 55 is the the number we're using there. You've been looking at all this data and you've been looking at how it compares across England. Are there any big regional differences? Are there some parts of the country more affected by this than others? And, And are there any common themes between the areas that are most affected? Uh, as always, there are big regional differences. In South End CCG in Essex, not far off half of full, full-time equivalent GPs are aged 55 plus. It's actually 46%, I think. Um, and in around 10 CCGs, more than 30% of their workforce is aged over 55 um, and at the other end of the scale, some CCGs are closer to having one in seven or one in eight GPs aged over 55, so much less at risk on, on that front. In terms of um, the, the parts of the country most affected more broadly, you know, Essex, Kent, bits of East Anglia are all up there in terms of heavy reliance on older GPs. So the, the south and east among the worst affected areas, perhaps. But bits of London, as well as areas at the other end of England, such as as Hull, have large numbers of GPs over 55 as well. So what does all this mean, though, at an individual practice level? You know, you've mapped the data showing the areas with the highest proportion of practices at risk from an ageing workforce. But how have we defined that and what does it really mean? We've talked about higher and lower concentrations of older GPs at, for example, the level of CCG. So uh, those are still across relatively large regions. And obviously within individual practices, concentrations can be far higher still. And what we found is that nearly one in 10 practices across England, so about 640 of them in total, uh, have a GP workforce, two thirds or more of which is aged over 55. So those practices are vulnerable because a large proportion of the GPs who work there are potentially close to retirement. And at a time when there's a chronic shortage of GPs, replacing them may not be easy. Yeah. And what do we know about the practices that are at risk from an ageing workforce? Do they have any common traits? These practices with two thirds or more GPs over 55 cover around three and a half million patients. So although we're talking about roughly 10% of practices in England, they cover about 6% of the population. So that means that the, the average list size of these practices is smaller than the national average. These practices tend to cover around five and a half thousand patients compared with the national average list size of something like nine thousand. So on average, they are smaller than their counterparts across the country, although that isn't to say that all of the practices that we've seen as being at risk or that we've calculated to be at risk uh, are small because some of them are not. Some of them do have something much larger like the, you know, the national average list size. One of the things I did want to ask you about this, is the ageing workforce a particular issue for partners? I mean, we know that younger GPs are less likely to want to become partners than previous generations perhaps were because work the workload pressures partners face, amongst other things. But does that mean partners are generally older and then perhaps there's an even higher proportion of them over 55 than in other groups of the profession? I, mean, I think it's fair to say that the ageing workforce is even more of an issue in terms of GP partners than it is for the workforce as a whole. Uh, and obviously, this is another factor that could put practices at risk. 
It's not always the case, but it, from from looking at the at the, at the figures by CCG, it, it generally follows that where a higher proportion of GPs overall are older, the same will be the case for partners. And South End CCG, for example, which we mentioned earlier, is having the highest proportion of older GPs overall. More than half of partners are aged over fifty five, which is again the, the highest the highest figure in the country. And there are about 10 CCGs with 40% or more of their partners aged 55 uh, plus. And in about 30 CCGs, a third or more of partners are aged 55 plus. So in all of these areas, significant numbers of GPs who are involved in running practices, leaders within general practice, could be close to leaving the profession through retirement. I mentioned earlier, we did uh, another map in February looking at the most underdoctored parts of England using the same NHS digital workforce data as we've used for this map. We talked about that on a previous episode of the podcast but is there any correlation between the aging workforce and under doctored areas i mean what does it tell us about the gp workforce if we look at them both side by side in some cases areas that are among the most under doctored are also among the most reliant on older gps so they have a shortage of gps and the GPs they do have may not stay much longer, meaning obviously that the sustainability of general practices in, in, in these areas uh, is potentially really at risk. Hull CCG was the area we identified as the most underdoctored in England. And Hull is in and around the top five areas for, for GPs over 55, partners over 55 and practices at risk. So that's an area in real need of support across the piece in, in terms of the, the workforce. On the other hand, South End, which we've mentioned as having uh, a high proportion of older GPs, is only about halfway up the underdoctored rankings. So Having said that, if some of its GPs start to retire soon, that might start to push up its total ratio of patients to GPs and push it into being a more underdoctored area. So you could see the one figure as a risk factor for becoming, you know, high up the, the rankings in the other area. You know, these figures could interact over the coming years, basically. So, Nick, what do you think the upshot of all of this is? So... Um, ultimately, the potential loss of a tenth of GP practices, because that's what we're talking about. We're saying that practices are at risk. I mean, if a significant proportion of their workforce may retire soon at a time when we know it's really difficult to fill GP posts in certainly in some parts of the country, I mean, the potential loss of a tenth of GP practices in England within the coming years could have a, a devastating impact on patient care at a time when demand for GP services is, a, is at an all-time high. We know last year there were 367 million appointments delivered in general practice. And also, this is at a time when we've had two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. It isn't over. And yet the work is supposedly beginning on, on working through this colossal backlog of care that's deepened because of covid and, you know, that, that waiting list uh, in, in for, for hospital care, we know, has been putting pressure on GPs for, for years mm. before the pandemic happened. There were four and a half million people on the NHS waiting list who, you know, while they waited for their, for their hospital appointments, were being managed in general practice even before the pandemic. And now it's six million plus on the waiting list. You know, that, that pressure on general practice is colossal, as you know, we've, we've reported on uh, a number of times recently. General practice is under major pressure. Demand for it is really high. And yet looking at this, there's a big chunk of the practices in the country potentially at risk in the near future. That's the significance of all of this. And that's something that, you know, the government or NHS England really need to get a grip of. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll put a link to the map where you can have a look at all the data uh, and how your area compares uh, in the description for this podcast. 
So last week also saw the publication of the annual British Social Attitudes Survey, which made for some really depressing headlines. Unsurprisingly, though, for anyone who works in the NHS, it showed that patient satisfaction with the service had reached a 25-year low. Just 36% of the public were very or quite satisfied with its performance. What's more, more people are now dissatisfied with the NHS than, than are satisfied. The survey's findings also had some grim news for general practice. Nick, what did the survey have to say about how the public feels about uh, GP practices? So the, the findings are pretty pretty bleak reading. Um, the British Social Attitudes Survey has been running since 1983, um, and it found that satisfaction with the NHS overall in 2021 hit its lowest point in 25 years at 36%. Satisfaction with general practice has dropped to 38%, and that's a 30 percentage point fall compared with the previous year, which is which is unprecedented. And although general practice had been the highest rated NHS service in every year since the British Social Attitudes Survey began in 1983 up until 2018, it's now lower than for any NHS service apart from dentistry, according to the survey. So, I mean, it's also worth mentioning, I suppose, making it easier to get a GP appointment was the top priority identified by respondents as a, as a way to improve the, the NHS. 48% of people uh, chose that option. Uh, that was actually closely followed, though, by 47% who called for improved waiting times for planned operations and the same proportionally backed um, increasing numbers of NHS staff. So those issues, I, I would say, are you know, broadly neck and neck in terms of the importance that people attach to them. And did the researchers suggest any specific reasons behind such a massive fall in patient satisfaction with general practice? Yeah, so, so they said that the, the COVID-19 pandemic had put healthcare services under pressure in ways not experienced in their history at a time when the NHS was already under intense strain. They also pointed out that general practice was used by more people than any other NHS service and that it was the only NHS service for which levels of contact with patients were unchanged in 2021 compared with the previous year, while patient contacts with inpatient, outpatient and A&E services, for example, dropped sharply. So GPs have repeatedly highlighted the devastating impact on general practice services of the, the record 6 million NHS waiting list for, for hospital services. And the fact that practices are forced to manage hundreds of thousands of patients who are waiting more than a year for hospital treatment. And so in part, this big drop may reflect the fact that while other parts of the health service were unable to continue to see patients, general practice, which kept seeing large numbers of patients, bore the brunt of the anger about it. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? I hadn't really thought about it in that terms. But yeah, it's, it is quite clear that GPs were still having a lot of contact with patients, even while hospitals were not seeing seeing anybody at all. And, and I think, you know, patients might have been much more likely to call their practice than they would be to go and rock up at the hospital during the pandemic. I know that was obviously a real concern for lots of people when COVID was rife. We've obviously talked about the abuse that practices faced in many cases throughout the pandemic from patients, particularly around the debate that was going on around access to face-to-face -face care. So, And the survey highlighted this point as well. It pointed to the what it called a polarised media debate around access to face-to-face -face GP services during the pandemic. Practice obviously responded rapidly to NHS advice to shift to predominantly remote consultations, but then faced this backlash with criticism from politicians and sections of the media. And the researchers said that this, you know, they called this basically a toxic environment and said that the government had added to that by putting out its uh, its winter access plan, which was, you know, which was controversial in, in the midst of all of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is important to remember it's not just the pandemic, though. I mean, a lot of the problems that we talk about regularly on the podcast and we report on on GP Online and we've mentioned today, you know, they predate the pandemic by quite a long way. It's just that the pandemic has really sort of exacerbated them and really highlighted them by driving up workload to such an extent that general practice is now, you know, really borderline struggling to cope. But, you know, even before the pandemic, we were facing a workforce and a workload crisis in general practice and a real shortage of staff across the NHS. NHS. I mean, you mentioned earlier about the the waiting list. I mean, it was already, like you said, at 4.5 million at the end of 2019. And that was a massive leap up from about 2.9 million at the start of 2015. We all know we talked on the last news podcast about the massive impact that has on general practice. I sort of think even without the pandemic, quite a lot of people would have probably been starting to feel dissatisfied with the NHS because of all those sorts of figures about workforce, waiting list. They were all going in the wrong direction. And a lot of that comes from the NHS being under-resourced for a number of years, you know, dealing with increased demand, no proper plan for tackling the workforce shortage. And also, you know, working alongside a social care system that's also in serious trouble, you know, and was in serious trouble before the pandemic in the wake of massive cuts to local government budgets. What did GPs make of it all? What was the kind of reaction from the profession to all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think GPs are just devastated that after two years of intense hard slog through the pandemic this is landing on their doormat at the end of it all um the the rcgp chair professor martin marshall said he was extremely disappointed and saddened by the findings and that the figures reflect his quote is a a service working under crippling staffing and resource pressures following the pandemic which has pushed general practice and the wider nhs to its limits and Dr. Rachel Ward, who's a, a GP in Oxfordshire and is part of the Rebuild General Practice campaign that we talked about in the, in the last podcast episode, said that she was a doctor who came into general practice to look after patients and that for someone in that position, you know, this data's devastating, although she says not surprising. And she said something very similar to, um, to, to what Dr. Marshall said, which was that years of underfunding and neglect have left general practice in crisis. Recruitment and retention of GPs hasn't kept up with growing demand, yet patient appointments are at an all-time high. Simply, there are not enough GPs to match patients' needs and this is the terrible result. I mean, as, as you said just before this, it's, a, it's the legacy of, um, of what came before COVID as much as it's the legacy of what's happened you know, because of COVID. But despite the findings of this survey, there are some other bits of evidence that suggest that people are a bit happier with general practice, aren't there? The the British Social Attitude Survey was carried out between the 16th of September and the 31st of October last year. And actually, the GP patient survey, the annual GP patient survey uh, for 2021, which was carried out between January and March uh, of 2021, so, um, you know, whatever that is, six months earlier, actually found that satisfaction with GP services had risen to a three-year high. So there's a big difference between the two in terms of not only the direction of travel, but also obviously the the general mood. Um, And it's also worth mentioning the National Audit Office earlier this year, it did a report on the COVID-19 vaccination campaign, which obviously general practice played a huge part in and and that found that general practice was the most popular so popular with patients you know using the service 
and cost-effective part of the COVID-19 vaccination campaign. So I guess the point is that it's worth looking at this British Social Attitude Survey in the context of these other sources of of information about people's attitudes to general practice and and saying that, you know, although this is painting a pretty bleak picture, there are some other signs that that, that may not be the complete picture about general practice. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Nick for talking to me today. Um, if you're enjoying our podcast, please do think about leaving us a rating and you can subscribe to Talking General Practice from wherever you get your podcasts. We're back next week when we have an interview with Dr. Johnny Marshall, who's president of the National Association of Primary Care. And he's talking to us about how primary care networks are getting on and whether they've realised the ambitions of the NAPC's primary care home model on which they were based. Do join us then. Do join us then.